0: Today's podcast it's a little bit different. I had originally planned to visit with one of my valuation heroes, Chris Mercer of Mercer Capital. When people talk about thought leaders, you know, these days they throw that around that they're a thought leader. Well, Chris really is, and he has led the business valuation community for years and years. I wanted to talk to him about how to increase business value and how to help business owners make saleable companies. Well, at the time of this recording, this is uh, March 23rd, we're knee-deep in the middle of COVID-19, and so rather than talk about how to increase value, we're just going to talk about how to maintain value in crisis. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Chris Mercer of Mercer Capital.
1: Please welcome, please welcome, welcome. This is
0: another episode of The Defenders of Business Value Podcast. A podcast where we talk about what makes a business valuable. Learn the tips and tactics to increase your company's value that only veteran dealmakers know. And now, here's your host, Ed Misogland. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. I help business owners understand how to build value and identify and remove risks in their business so that one day they can sell their business at maximum value when they want, how they want, and to whom they want. And it seems funny to say that, Today on uh, this recording of March 23rd, I have one of my valuation heroes, uh, Chris Mercer of Mercer Capital. For anybody that's been in the valuation community for any period of time, recognizes his thought leadership. And these days, you know, people throw it around as an adjective. Well, Chris is truly one of those guys that has been in this community and has led this community for so many
1: years. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ed. It's a pleasure to be here. I wish that uh, the times were a little different than they are, but we're living when, at the time that we're living.
0: Well, the good news is that we're living, <laughs> and that's, uh, that's, yeah. the, that's the important thing. I gave a little overview before you got on about you and Mercer Capital. Can you uh, kind of give your, just a, a brief overview of, of you and, and you know, the services that Mercer Capital has been providing
1: all these years? Sure. Well, I've been in the business appraisal business since 1978. I went into business at Mercer Capital in 1982, and we've grown over that period of time to where I think we're one of the larger independent firms in the country. We've got offices in Memphis and Nashville in Dallas and Houston, and we provide valuation services for a broad range of companies and for a broad range of reasons, gift and estate tax purposes, uh, financial reporting purposes, employee stock ownership plans, buy-sell agreements, and then people, of course, fight over money, and litigation is an area where we've lived for a long time. Like I say, the company, we have significant resources. We have one of the largest single valuation offices in the country, maybe the largest in Memphis. We've got almost 30 people there. Most firms don't have that many people in one place. But we've been at it a long time, as you pointed out, and it's been a good ride.
0: Well, I'll tell you when, when I was younger and I'm talking 25 years, years ago, I was, my plan was, you know, I would get my chops up here in Indiana and I would, I would land in, in Tennessee and I would go work for, for Mercer capital because that was just kind of where that was the, the pinnacle of, of investment banking and valuation. So uh, yeah, what a wonderful company you've built. You know, as I was telling you, I had a script, I had all my questions laid out on how to increase value of a company to make it more valuable to sell down the road. And if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to go ahead and pivot into three areas that you've taught about for all these years. The first one is valuations based on three things. You've always taught about risk, about earnings, and expectation, so we're in the middle of this crisis, so why don't we attack each of these three and figure out how to help business owners either stay afloat or at least preserve the value?
1: Sure. Well, the value of business is present value of all the expected future benefits, uh, that is the cash flows from the business, discounted to the present, uh, risk-adjusted discount rate. And, and that's a, a sort of an overview of the discounted cash flow model. What we have in today's environment is heightened risk. I hope that the reaction in the marketplace in recent days is a substantial overreaction and that sanity will prevail. I was around for Black Monday, which was in October of 1987, uh, when the market dropped uh, maybe close to 30% in one day. It did come back within a few months and, you know, it continued on. But cash flow is key and every business is going to have to, during this period of time, focus on either conserving cash or generating cash or a combination of those two things. If you're in the restaurant business and the state has closed you down, there's not much you can do except perhaps take out and hope that that'll pay some of the overhead and keep a few of your employees in business. If you're in the airline business, you're just slowed down. If you're in the car rental business, you're probably slowed down. And businesses, Ed, you don't even think about. I went to Laundry to pick up something on Friday and I noticed that they had to shorten their hours. And the lady said that in the last week, their business had just dropped to almost nothing because when people are staying home, they don't need dry cleaning Yeah. But if you think about the impact on so many different kinds of businesses and they're all trying to do either to generate cash or conserve cash, because uh, that'll be the key to coming out on the other side. It's hard to talk about the growth of cash flows at this point, you know, a business like our business, we have 45 people and normally we have four offices and we know where everybody is and it's easy to communicate with everyone. Today we've got 45 people in probably 45 different locations. Yeah, I'm in Florida. Uh, Others are working from home and we're trying to figure out this new reality how to stay productive and, and uh, optimistic in a time when uh, if you read the press or listen to the news, my gosh, the only thing you can do is get depressed. Yeah. We had a pep talk this morning with, with our folks about the fact that you're not alone. You may think you're alone, but you're not alone. You know, you, you're working together, we'll, and we'll get through this. We've been through every other crisis before now, and uh, we'll get through this one. And I think business owners have to kind of take that attitude it hasn't
0: hit some people yet. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, one of the things that concern me is these baby boomers that had some gas still in the tank. So they hit 65, and they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm still relevant in this business. I think I'm going to keep going. And so now we're starting to see the influx of more motivated baby boomers. So now they're from, I'm talking six, seven years ago, so now they're at 72, 73. And now they have a real big problem when this thing is hit. So what do we say to those people?
1: Yikes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. what, what, What you say to people that are, if you will, past their prime in terms of selling their business, you better work with your team right now and focus on preserving the business and rebuilding the business because you won't get another chance. You know, when when this rebounds, all of that pent up demand is still going to be there. There'll still be a bunch of money chasing deals. uh, I believe there will be. I do too. And uh, so you got to get to the other side. And I don't know if this is a two week deal or an eight week deal, or you know, a 12 week deal. But every virus that I've heard of so far runs its course, and this one, too, will run its course. And my suggestion is that if if you're in that older baby boomer group and you still own your business, you better be focused on your, your young people and better be focused on making sure that they are working and happy with the business. Because, like I say, you won't have another five years to sell it.
0: So normally we can explain situations like this as a non-recurring event and it amplifies risk a little bit but we can we can explain and say all right you know this doesn't happen very often and we, and we can discount you know the event I don't want to say in in its entirety but you can make that argument but how much of an impact on value will something like this have if I'm a business owner, can I explain this away as a non-recurring event, or do I now have to to really dig in and take my lumps when they come?
1: Well, it is a non-recurring event, but life is, you know, filled with one non-recurring event after another. Um, <laughs> right. This this virus and the panic that is surrounding it has taken away, you know, a third of the market capitalization in, in the U.S. markets in a very short period of time. It would be naive for me to think that that wouldn't have an impact on a typical business if there is such a thing on Main Street. So we as a valuation firm are attempting to figure out how to address valuation in this light because it's not like we can fast forward to the end of uh, 2020 and then we're looking back on it. We have people doing deals right now, and we have to be talking about valuation right now. This is going to impact a lot of people. You know, it's kind of counterintuitive. Treasury rates are down at such a low level that that would infer that other things being equal, that value would be up, Right. but value is not up. Value is down, and value is down because of that thing called R, risk. And that risk is, you know, all you have to do is drive by and look at all the restaurants that are closed uh, drive by and, and look at all the bars that are closed. And at least the Florida governor has not uh, seen fit to close the liquor stores yet. So sure. uh, he's avoided pandemonium, I suppose. But <laughs> there's less traffic everywhere right now. And people are just kind of hunkered down. And as business owners, we're all trying to figure out You know, is the phone going to ring again?
0: But from a risk standpoint, I mean, can't you explain that this heightened risk is as a result of a non-recurring event? So why do we need to panic with from a risk standpoint? Because I I do believe that a lot of this, I mean, a lot of chinks in the armor just got amplified. And and now if you had a, a little problem in your business, you now recognize that you had many other problems that were just lurking under the surface. So my question was, so why can't we explain the risk away? Because when we do come out of this in eight or 12 weeks, every business owner is going to look to, how do I get my value back? Or did I really lose my value? So what do you do with that?
1: Well, number one, how you do the best thing that you can do right now to generate cash and conserve cash. Number two, uh, you do everything that you can to make the numbers of your business look as good as, as they can under the circumstances. When we look at this next year, let's hope that performance has come back. Maybe a year from now or two years from now, we can look back and say, oh, yes, that was the COVID-19 scare, and you know we've recovered from that, and value ought to be there. Keep in mind, some other things are happening there's a lot of deleveraging going on right now as people are trying to find sufficient liquidity to stay in business. And the banks, uh, financing is going to be considered riskier for a while, and I think financing is going to be a little harder to get. So until we get through and see what happens on the financing side, we really won't know about value. But my guess is that two years from now, if we look back, the value of uh, smaller businesses, uh, private businesses that you work with, that we work with, and bigger private businesses will be back to, quote, uh, their normal levels pre-COVID-19. Well,
0: but when, like, the access to capital, the capital that you're referring to, I mean, are you talking private placement capital, or are you talking conventional financing or SBA financing? Because I, I and I don't know if they, they passed the, whatever, one point. trillion stimulus bill as of now, but I mean, it seems as though they're doing everything that they can to stimulate, you know, capital.
1: Right. The federal government, I don't think anybody who's right thinking really wants a deep recession right now. And I think what you're seeing in Washington is a massive effort to stimulate the economy early before it has a chance to go too much in the tank. And uh, if those stimulus efforts work, then uh, the recession will probably be short and not so deep. In the absence of that, I mean, you're talking a world economy that has changed. The suppliers in the Far East have been backed up. People that I talk to say that their Chinese and other uh, suppliers are coming back on stream now and may be back on stream soon. But we haven't even been hit with all of that yet. I'd like to tell you that we're at Mercer Capital. We're experts in, you know, working remotely. But <laughs> this is a new deal, and we're yeah, like us do. We're <laughs> going to have to figure out. You got to figure out, you know, how we're going to do business. Yeah. Just the the basic things like keeping staff productive, and keeping staff motivated. It's it's much totally. harder if you can't see anybody. <laughs>
0: No, I mean, we we went and dragged everyone into the Zoom environment where, you know, that and now we're meeting, you know, daily, you know, just as a huddle. And we've been pretty blessed by following some of these startup companies and, you know, what, what all they're doing in order to stay connected to their, you know, millennial workforce and and that's the playbook is, you know, somehow, some way they're able to virtually uh, reside as dark as this period is. That's one of the blessings, I think, that we've seen is some of the ingenuity of, of some of these companies to to figure out how to preserve you know their corporate life. It is really fascinating to watch. And I know it's painful for them. But I went to the butcher shop and they had, you know, in their waiting area, they had measured out six feet and had little X's and you just followed the X's. You couldn't touch the windows. You know, you had to stay three feet away. And I mean, it was just you felt okay going in there. And, you know, and it's those kinds of things. So, yeah, the boy,
1: you take that exponentially. And what business owners are going to have to be doing is uh, focusing on every aspect of their business so that, once again, I've said it uh, three or four times, generate cash and conserve cash. Because uh, cash will be the determinant as to who comes out on the other side. If you run out of cash, it's pretty hard. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to depend on on a government bailout for a small business.
0: Yeah, I keep seeing that at least on the micro and the, the smaller businesses south of 25 million i mean we're seeing daily things coming from the sba about help and immediate help and i don't know whether that's a, a good thing or a bad thing but i do know that and this is what we've been telling all of our sell side clients is you know good businesses sell in any economic climate it's it's like you said it's true i mean if you've uh, developed a, a business you this is a speed bump it's not the the end of your business and if you need to take it off the market and and wait it out then you'll be fine too but boy it is an interesting time to to be a, a small business owner you know trying to fight this and and not knowing when it's going to end i think that's the 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 biggest challenge it's huge yeah it is one of the things i that I had heard was as a result of the China shutdown, it forced a lot of companies to look for alternative sources for for manufacturing and it appears that India may be coming more prevalent in the manufacturing space. I don't know have you guys heard any of that and again it just may be speculation, but I just thought I'd ask that you guys trace
1: well no it, it's a logical thing. I mean India has been very heavily into business services support for American businesses for a long time. I mean, I think it's only natural that they see the opportunity with the the shutdown and, and confusion in China, and are attempting to get some of that business in India. That'd be an interesting dynamic.
0: Yeah, so we talked earnings. We talked a little bit about risk. Where does the threshold of risk lie now and i know the development of discount rates and so on so forth and you may want to to give a give your your quick primer on that but as you develop a discount rate i mean is this now the risk embedded in the company specific risk or where is the risk lying? because it seems it's everywhere
1: well the traditional build-up starts with some measure of long-term treasuries you've got an equity risk premium That equity risk premium, you know, many people have been saying it's in the five and a half, six percent range, five percent range in that range. And that risk premium sometimes gets adjusted by beta. Well, I think right now the equity risk premium is huge. I mean, because that's the only thing that will that can explain, at least for the short run, that's the only thing that I can see that will explain the downturn in, in market prices. The interesting thing about it is is that, you know, the, the weak are going to get weaker, and I think some of the strong are going to get stronger. Walmart and Amazon are hiring. <laughs> yep. yep, And they're hiring at the expense of the main street businesses who may not have the capital to make it.
0: That's interesting yeah I, I I didn't look at it that way, that you're exactly right though,
1: but right now, call it a bubble, but uh, the bubble is real if you look at the stock if if you look at the stock prices, uh, the stock market right now, the futures were down this morning, and then they came back. I, I don't know where the market opened i haven't I haven't had a chance to look, but it's just one more day of uncertainty while people try to figure out what is going to happen and who the big losers are and who the big winners are. It's just a very strange time. And the backdrop of all of these, with all of those boomers you're talking about is that uh, they've probably lost 30 or 40% of the value of everything else that they've accumulated if they're exposed right. to the market there. So it's a, it's really a double whammy for a lot of folks
0: yeah and that's where i was that's where I was going with this is that you know where where all your wealth is tied up in your business, and even if you were t- taking chips off the table over the last five to seven years, yeah, those chips just evaporated, or at least a lot of them did. And so that leads you to what you know what do you take the discount as you're saying? I mean, you're not going to get another crack at this. You may want to to you know take what you can while you still can.
1: Right. I don't think I'd be trying to sell a business for, for the next three months. I, it's in the process of being marketed, and people are, you know, are already talking and halfway committed. That's one thing, but it's uh, buyers are aware of what's going on in the market as well. Sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> They've seen the same stock market
0: that we all have. Well, and and that leads to you know what what do you do if you're knee deep in the middle of a deal? Because if I'm if I'm a buyer, I'm taking full advantage of of this. This makes your business more risky, or this, you know, it gives me chance to pause and say, you know what, let's just table this for ninety days and and let the storm go by, and then we'll revisit it. And you know, you've been in the business long enough to know that time kills all deals, and you know, that seller does not want that buyer to walk away because chances are they're not coming back. So, you know, how do you offset something like that?
1: It's very difficult to offset. <laughs> right. You know, I said one time, and I, I wrote it down so I could quote myself, uh, if you wait until it's too late, it's too late. And, and right. that's, uh, that's what I think a lot of owners do in terms of waiting to sell their business or waiting to if they don't sell it uh, or get it under, you know, different management hands or a different arrangement, so that uh, other people are benefiting and, and uh, maybe they maybe they have less benefit. I think you're going to find uh, some business owners that are going to be holding their uh, stock or holding a piece of their stock. They may have to give up some of their stock, you know, to keep people uh, in 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 the coming. Uh, in the coming year or two or three uh, in order to keep it all together but that might be a whole lot preferable to uh, you know losing the team
0: yeah well speaking of the team one of the things that fascinated me with your practice is you converted into an esop and i don't know how many years ago and that was a first for an advisory firm like like mercer capital right i had never seen anyone do you know, I've seen you know I, obviously uh, you know various professional services like architects and things like that create ESOPs, but I had never seen something like like a, an investment banking firm. Can you speak to that and and how did that roll out and are you, are you still pleased with that decision? Sure.
1: Well, we sold half of the company to uh, the employee stock ownership plan on uh, January one, two thousand and six. The um, took out a loan, 100 percent loan to buy that stock. The ESOP did or the company did, and loaned it to the ESOP and uh, paid it off in eight years. The uh, ESOP is uh, you know provides a, a, a valuable additional benefit to our employees. We still have a profit sharing plan and still make a, a generous contribution to the profit sharing plan. but we also have the ESOP. Uh, so, uh, folks have generated, uh, the value that's in the shares, but, uh, uh, our ESOP is an S corp ESOP and, uh, its, uh, contributions and, and, uh, distributions are not taxable. And so, uh, it is in addition to the value of the stock accumulated substantial, uh, assets that are invested, unfortunately in the market.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> It'll
1: come back. So, I think it'll. I think it will come back. Uh, I, uh, President Trump yesterday was hopeful that it would come roaring back, and I I do believe that it will. But the ESOP was a good decision for us. It's uh, yeah. It, it's been it's it's been it's been very very good. As a service firm, we generate you know cash flow, and uh, we were able to service the debt, and and now it's it's just an additional significant uh, enhancement to the retirement plans of our, of our employees.
0: Yeah. Well, like I said, you've always, Mercer Capital has always been one of those pinnacle firms out there that, that you you just kind of follow along and, and hope uh, that uh, you can learn from afar is probably the best way to put it.
1: Well, I was just thinking about that business owner that you're talking about. And I guess my suggestion to them or him or her would be the, the same that i gave to our staff in a memo a couple of days ago and that is that don't let the psychology overpower you in other words take charge of your attitude and be as optimistic as you can while you're working on cash flow and get to the other side and then do what you need to do in a very reasonable period of time because like i say, there probably won't be another chance for a lot of folks uh, in that age category,
0: well, my last question has to do with with expectation. The forecasting of a small business already starts at next to impossible. So, if I'm a buyer, how do I even begin to forecast this sucker punch that the target that I'm looking at just received? How do I take it from there?
1: That is an enormously difficult thing. I think it will uh, call for increased, uh, in, you know, increased due diligence. I think it will slow down the pace of deals, and it will kill a lot of deals, uh, yeah, certainly like, over the next six months. Yeah. Because it's, it's hard to take into account what might come out on the other side when you're in the middle of, of the market slide. Basically, all you can do is slide until you get to the bottom, and then, then, you, then you can begin to think about forecasting. But, how would you like to forecast for a hotel right now or for oh, a restaurant? No. I'm valuing the company that owns a number of restaurants in resort locations. Whatever forecast they had makes no sense right now.
0: Yeah, I'm in the same camp. I have a portfolio of uh, of restaurants, and i'm and what do you do? i mean i'm <laughs> I'm trying to figure out whether or not, in six weeks from now, are they even still in business? Do they want to be in business? So, yeah, I, I hear you. I want to be sensitive to your time. Like I said, uh, you have such depth and wisdom and have seen so many different things. I, I guess I'm, I'm hoping you have any parting guidance for you know, those folks that are, that are out there hurting and trying to figure out how to keep afloat.
1: If I have any guidance, it would be to keep looking forward optimistically. I mean, The downside of being optimistic is nil. The downside yeah. of being pessimistic is great. So to the extent that you can affect your attitude, keep a positive attitude through this thing, uh, it will help you get through this time period and it will help you rebuild and, and put things back together when the market's a bit more favorable.
0: Yeah. Well, Chris, you know, truly, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have visited with you. Like, uh, like I said, you have uh, you have made me a, a better appraiser, better deal guy. Thank you. You know, and I'm I'm just am just so grateful that uh, you took the time under these circumstances because I'm certain you guys are scrambling the way we are. So thank you for being a defender of business value, and I hope uh, we can we can do this again under under better circumstances.
1: I look forward to that, Ed, for sure. This was another episode of the
0: Defenders of Business Value Podcast. For more episodes packed with strategies to increase the value of your business, visit defendersofbusinessvalue.com for show notes, transcripts, and free
1: tools to start you on your journey. Subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes.